Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by listennotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you're joining us for part two of a discussion with T.S. Wright. Good friend Scott Wright is back. He's been sharing about the seven ages of the church. And yesterday, in the prior episode, we started with the seventh church age. Praise God. And the information he has been sharing is just awesome. In the last episode, he discussed what ended the sixth church age and began the seventh church age. It was with the first great awakening. But today, we're going to go a little bit more in depth. We're going to talk about the Industrial Revolution and how that actually contributed to World War I or World War II. And then you won't want to miss the third part, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Right now, let's jump back into this interview with Scott Wright as we continue our discussion in part two of the seventh age of the church. Amen. So the start of the seventh age of the church coincided basically with, the, the as you said, the shift from the agrarian society to the yep. industrial age. Coupled in with all the transportation, you know, like we talked about before, you know, being able to go instead of taking three months to go across the ocean, you know, you're doing it in a couple of weeks. Exactly. Like that. All that technological advance has ushered in to the seventh church age, right? Exactly. Yeah. Think about this. You had, we had, if you go back during the Napoleonic Wars and then you van- you fast forward to World War One. And look at the way those wars were fought. There's about a hundred year gap there. Look how far technology came and look how different the societies were in a hundred years. But if you kind of dial back, you can say, hey, you know, in the 1400s all the way back to the 800s, life didn't change that much. It wasn't that different. It wasn't that different in the 16 and 1700s. Yeah, it, it was a little you, different. Yeah. That, that growth is exponential. At, yeah. I mean, that's what I say. You said the 14, 1500. That's thing. Oh, shoot. Up until, you know, about 1800 itself. I mean, everything was the same. I mean, the, exactly. You know, the populations were getting a little bigger, but as far as, you know, transportation and agriculture and, you know, all that, it, Stay, you know, if your father was a blacksmith, you're probably going to be a blacksmith. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. it was just, that's just how it was. Yeah. Think about this. If, and I think we go back around and, and I would have to look at my sociological mapping, but there are some charts and a good place to go is visual capitalist. They've got a lot of these type of charts. If you go to visualist cap, visual capitalist, which I have used in my classrooms before to show certain phenomena that have happened. If I'm not mistaken, I think that there were is about in the 1830s, about 2 billion people on earth. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
in 19, now think about this. That is all the way back from the time of Noah till then. All right. And then from the 1830s to 1950, we get to 3 billion. Now, 1950 until now, we are now over 8 billion people. Yep. I mean, just and visualize that for a minute. Yep. I mean, just yeah. it's almost hard to swallow. Yeah. Amen. And I don't I don't think people realize in less than 100 years <laughs> we yep. have more than doubled, almost tripled our entire our population on earth. And, and part of that we can relate to the industrial age and freeing up uh, that's a good example of some people having some extra time on their hands i guess you could say and that's probably yeah. as a result of the industrial age because you didn't have to work from sunset exactly. to sundown you know? exactly and you know leisure time leisure time became a big thing in the roaring 20s yeah yeah that because yeah. and and who affected that henry ford with the assembly line that was industrialization now People could work an eight-hour day, make a livable wage, mm-hmm. and still have time. Yeah. Amen. And then you have the automobile, so you can get to and fro a lot quicker from work to home. Yep. And, and, I mean, you know, this stuff has not been around that long. Right. Exactly. I mean, television and all that stuff did not really become a major thing until the 1950s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was growing it, up, all we had was black and white TV. We didn't have Exactly. TV. And, I mean, it's very different. And, you know, even before that, it was just radio. Exactly. Yeah. So there's some really good stuff on the History Channel. You can mm-hmm. yep. um, you can look the, at things I like. I love the History Channel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and But you can go back, you know, the men who built America. Yeah. Look at the Vanderbilts, the Morgans, the Rockefellers, yep. the car, you know, the Vanderbilts, the Fords of the world, you yep. know, the Carnegies. You can also, there's also other ones that they have brought off of that. And you can learn about some of the different industries and their development from that. Mm-hmm. There'll be the, you know, there's a thing on the Titans, which were kind of the next level of capital, major capitalists that really, you know, the captains of industry that really shaped things in the 1900s after Morgan and Rockefeller and them had already dissipated, you know, had already passed yeah. on. Yeah. So this was the next generation basically of those Titans. But then there were also, they have these breakdowns of the different industries like the TV, the telephone and, all these different things and how that all came about and the airplane and the battles and the competitions between those big businessmen, those Titans that were fighting for that. But you, but watching that, it's not just about them. It's about watching that technology emerge and how it completely changed people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's a big fight on the ra- over the radio and how that was done and how MB- that's how NBC came about. And yeah. you can learn all those histories and I'm not going to, I don't want to get into too much depth and detail mm-hmm. Yeah, that start that really happens right after the turn of the century. Yeah, so let's go the back 1900s. to the, the, the seventh you know, that, age of that the church. That stuff really takes off. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, that's and the if, beginning of the seventh age. So what happens after the beginning? Where are we at? Okay. So here's what, here's some significant things. So, Technology starts advancing. People's lives start moving forward in a much more rapid pace. You know, the the United States Civil War becomes one of the first major industrial wars that we see fought. I mean, we had, there were all kinds of representatives and I guess people coming over from Europe to watch this war unfold. 
And they went back with a couple of understandings. Number one, what an industrial war and the destructiveness of it and the technologies and how it would impact war. And then they also got a sense of uh, the days of thinking we can go in and invade the United States are over unless you just want to be swallowed because they're not only their populations grown, but their technologies are now just as advanced as any European power. And the United States started to realize that too. And then as those technologies took off right after the civil war, it, in, it spread across the globe. And in 50 years, the United States will become the most dominant nation on earth because of the industrialization. I mean, Yamamoto, at the beginning of World War II, for between the United, beginning of the war between the United States and Japan, which will start in December 7, 1941, obviously, he knew that there had to be a quick end to the war because he understood the United States. He had been here. And he said the industrial, he understood that the industrial might of the United States could conquer any world power. And a lot of people hadn't totally embraced that. But these world leaders already knew that by that time. They had learned that from the United States Civil War, the Spanish-American War, and in World War I. Because in World War I, the United States will enter, and the United States will fight for about seven to eight, nine months in that war, really fight on the side of the Allies. And that's what is going to tip the balance to win World War I for the Allies against the Central Powers. So... And here's, here's some things I want to bring out of that. And I keep talking about World War I and World War II, this industrialization. The industrialization buildup will lead, obviously, to what will eventually become all these world these clashes. I mean, unfortunately, when, when man develops weapons, they want to use them. And that's what World War I is, a lot of it, because now these nations decided they, they were landlocked. They were kind of bumping into each other trying to colonize now it's time to square off and most of these monarchs that were existing at the time they were all descendants of queen victoria and prince albert which was interesting they were all related most of yeah. them yeah back but when they if did you that. go yeah. exactly and a good movie to watch is watch 37 days it's i think it was put on by bbc and it kind of shows you how world war one breaks out the political wrangling that went on behind the scenes and how crazy it was. But here's what I want to make worthy of, or, or really pull from world war one world war one is going to be also the signal that we're getting ready to shift from the time of the Gentile back to the time of the Jews. Mm. Yeah. Okay. 19 November 1917 yeah. we're going to have what's called the Balfour Declaration mm -hmm. okay and we're not there yet we are not we're not there yet but we are getting there to this shift back well so what happens so you have the Balfour Declaration and a lot of people are like well, what is that well on November 2nd 1917 the Balfour Declaration basically gives Israel some of their land back that had belonged to them back in the time of the Romans, the time where they, when they had established, okay. When they were an established, excuse me, they were an established nation and they had their temple and they had all these pieces and all these things in place. The temple was destroyed in, 
and most scholars say it's 70 AD, some are 68 AD, but most of them agree that it was around 70 AD in August, the beginning of August, like August 5th to August 10th, right in there. So since then, the nation of Israel had been broken down by the Romans, and then they were scattered, and the last Jewish rebellion will be put down in 136, which we talked about was a significant end of the first age of the church. Well, now, in the seventh age of the church, we are seeing this land being given back to Israel. Now, a lot, not a lot of people moved back into that area. It's still unstable, but the Ottoman Empire, who had been in control of this for a good while, now it is broken down. Okay, and that Ottoman Empire is destroyed by the British and now and and allied forces, I should say. But Britain takes that land and gives it back to Israel. And it was a promise because it was Jewish banker that had helped bankroll the allies, especially France and Britain in World War One. And that was the guarantee that they would give them that back. So this happens. Well, obviously. A lot of Israelites don't move back into that land. And so then we have the Roaring Twenties. I want to jump into those, obviously. In November 11, 1918 is the end of World War I. We have all these political, the political destruction of all these monarchies. And now all of a sudden political systems start taking over. If you go back and read the history and if you can talk to somebody who was alive back then, which obviously is becoming a lot more rare because that generation has basically died off now most of them communism was a big deal and there was this huge that called the red scare yeah the communist scare i mean it's why the fbi formed <laughs> like yeah. it did it became what it did is because they were trying to distinguish americans who was communist and who wasn't and all this communist stuff and so there was this what was happening is is political systems, what that was a signal of the political systems had taken over. We already had democracy and capitalism. Now we have communism taking, and these are taking over. You'll have fascism rise up in Europe in the 1930s, another political system. Mm -hmm. And so, and not monarchies here. So what happens is, is in this little 20 year time period before World War II really kicks off from the end of World War One, is that these political systems are going to start rising up and becoming stronger and stronger. Well, just like the monarchs of old, they clash. And now World War II happens. Well, part one of the political systems, fascism, wants to rid itself of certain races and types of peoples and groups. And it's not just Jews they want to rid the world of, but it's also other groups. But that becomes the predominant focus. And of course, the Nazis and them trying to destroy all the Jewish people that they could and round them up in the concentration camps, the Holocaust. You can read about that. I'm not going to get too deep into that. But what eventually happens is World War II is fought. And really the start of World War II is July 7th, 1937, when Japan invades China, known as the Marco Polo Bridge Incident. There had been a buildup there from the early 1930s between Japan and China. But this incident is really the unofficial start of it. The official start is obviously going to be September 1st, 1939, when Germany invades Poland after there had been an ultimatum to stay out of Poland, but, but there had been a compromise that they could have certain other lands. And obviously they invade Poland. Two days later, 
World War II officially begins because Britain and France declare war on Germany for invading Poland. So now, World War II, we go through the whole process of World War II. You guys know that VE Day is May 8, 1945, and VJ Day is August 15, 1945. You can study World War II if you want to. But here's the thing. This kind of leaves a vacuum in leadership. You know, we have all these, we had all these conferences that would happen at the end of World War II between the United States, Soviet Union, and Britain, trying to figure out how they were going to settle all this. What's interesting is if you go back to the end of World War I and how that was settled, the only country that's involved in both of these is Britain. Hmm. The United States and Soviet Union was not involved at any large degree. I mean, the United States was there to represent the United States. Woodrow Wilson came and went over there himself but really had no impact at the end of World War I on really what went on there because the United States had not been in the war much. This time, political systems took over at the very end, and you had Britain with its parliamental monarchy. You had the United States, total capitalism, and you had communism of the Soviet Union that was going to decide what the world was going to look like. And, and so that is a major shift. So now we have that shift. Also, we have new dominant world powers between the United States, Soviet Union, and, and you have Great Britain on the side of the United States. Obviously, we're going to get all kinds of things that are, that are formulated. We're going to have alliances, kingdoms, basically. We're going to have all these alliances that are formed that we still have today. So that's that's one thing to to realize that that does impact us today because these alliances that were formed at the end of World War II between democracies and all the different um, all the different countries that would basically group up to defend themselves against communism. Communism would collect their countries and and do the same thing. These are these are like just two big kingdoms is really what this is. And, and you can see and, that because recently the news about NATO. And all exactly. That. I mean, NATO is a big part are, of that. Yeah, those are still exist today. That came out it, of World it, War II. Exactly. And, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis will be the culmination of a lot of that, of them going head-to-head almost to the brink of nuclear war. If you go back and, you, again, go watch the movie 13 Days, they give a pretty good depiction of what really happened there. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't want to read it and study it, you just want a quick glance of it. That's a good way. That's a good way to learn it. But what also happens at the end of World War II is that, and I, I find this interesting, and I'm not sure FDR would have done this, but I find it interesting how Harry Truman became the vice president because he was not the VP the term before. The guy that was FDR's VP from 1941 to 1945 was removed, and Harry S. Truman at the last minute was put in his place through some political wrangling, and now it's Roosevelt Truman. And then what happens is Roosevelt doesn't live very long after he is inaugurated. We basically have a newcomer on the scene that is, you know, in an essence, unelected, that is going to make two of the biggest decisions 
in the history of the world, at Man. least in the modern history. Mm-hmm. Number one, he's going to be the one that decides to drop the atomic bomb. Yep. Man. Number two, he on May, and this is important, on May 14, 1948, Harry Truman will sign the document that will make Israel become a nation and give them a provisional government. A lot of these of the Jewish people fled after they were released from these concentration camps. Some of them, a lot of them, were taken to different areas. There, you can like there was a, there's a movie out there called The Windermere Children, and and you can kind of get a sense of what was going on. Uh, for a lot of the people that survive these concentration camps, especially these children who become very prominent in all this, but they're going to be spread out. And most of them will flee to one of three places. They'll go to the United States to get away from the Europe, the tyranny in Europe. They'll go to great Britain because Britain was much more friendly for a Jewish population than the other countries in Europe, or they will flee to Israel. Okay. So here's something else. Interesting. In 19, January 25th, 1949, there will be a permanent government elected in Israel. And then on July 5th, 1950, there's going to be this thing called the Law of Return. And basically, any Jewish person can return to Israel and automatically be a citizen of Israel. And a lot of these people that had been in these concentration camps, refugees, you name it, they will flee to Israel because they are automatically granted citizenship. They don't have to, a lot of them are still trying to become citizens in the United States and Britain and some of these other European countries and couldn't, well, they could return here and do so. And this starts the formation of Israel again. So that is very significant in the seventh age of the church. And as time goes on, we get June 5th through June 10th of 1967, Israel is going to miraculously win and that's an awesome story. a standoff, basically, what's going to be considered a war. And through this, they are going to completely retake the rest of Jerusalem. The old part of Jerusalem now militarily is in their hands. There's going to be more chaos and more war over this. And finally, there's going to be a peace settlement in August 7th, 1970. And that is going to politically help secure that part of uh, basically the rest of Jerusalem for Israel. They're The world's just simply going to have to accept it. You can go back and read about that. It's not, that is not that well known, but I have read enough about it that it did help do that. And then of course there'd be some more war and all this other stuff. And there'd still be this, this whole fighting between the Palestinians and Jewish people in the 1970s. And some of that goes off and on even now and through today. Oh yeah. yeah. But, but Israel now finally had their entire, basically their entire nation back. It wasn't exactly like it was, but now they have that. The only thing they don't have now is the temple. So that is significant. And that is a part of the seventh age of the church. Yeah. So, so we need to, you know, we, we got to take that part into consideration. Here's another thing. We're going to see the message of the gospel spread quickly. 
with all the advent of technology, we're going to see the rise of guys like uh, Billy Graham Crusades. Yep. Dr. Bill Bright, Campus Crusade for Christ. It's going to be the largest parachurch in the world and really the largest outreach ministry ever. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to see those things come about after World War II. And I find it interesting. You have the Jesus Revolution. Those of you that went out there and watched the Jesus Revolution film, that's going to come out of all this in the 19, late 60s and early 70s. So we're going to see all that. You're going to see all these, you got all these pseudo wars that happen between political systems. And you're going to see technology just continue to expand, expand, expand. Here is significant thing about this church of Laodicea is that we're going to see the saturation of technology that will completely control our lives. We we're see that there we're already and we're there. there. I mean, we're, we're the living product of this. Yep. And I mean, not that the war of the spirit and the flesh hadn't always been there, but how easy is it now to just fulfill any type of pleasure that a person wants to on the snap of a finger? I mean, we don't even give it a second thought and we're, we're in such a stage of or of, of advancement of technology and social thinking that we basically, we justify living according to the flesh, like it's a okay. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. and it's easy to do. Hey folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all at time with this portion of the interview with Scott Wright in part two of the seventh day of the church or the seventh church age. I keep saying seventh day of the church. It's the seventh church age. Praise God. And Scott has been sharing some fabulous information with us. And <laughs> the best part is we ain't done yet. Praise God. He's coming back for part three in the very next episode where we will be concluding this portion of the interview and our conclusion of the seven ages of the church. And folks, you do not want to miss what he's about to share in this upcoming. I'm excited because I know what he's going to talk about. Praise God. But Because we're doing this during an editing process. And I'm telling you, you do not want to miss the next episode. I guarantee it. Amen. Now, drop down the show notes. Click the links right there. Get in touch with Scott. Order his resource. Order his, his journal. Uh, the God Center Concept Journal. And folks, subscribe to his podcast where he goes in depth on all the things we've been talking about praise god but be sure you come back for the very next episode for the conclusion not just this portion of the interview discussing the seventh age of the church but the entire seven ages of the church this concludes this entire series on this amen so we'll talk to you in the very next episode until then it's pastor bob reminded be blessed in all that you do Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.